Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on Welcome the phone. Man, everybody, episode yeah. four, we. 92. Yeah. Podcast. Oh, the podcast. It is Wednesday, February 9th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We open the show with a big picture conversation on the state of college sports. About eight, nine months ago, we put in the NIL. About eight, nine months ago, we put in the one-time transfer, and we think it's all gravy. It's great. This is what we need to do. Well, over the last couple weeks, we've seen some of the unintended consequences of these new rules as Texas A&M is accused of all sorts of shenanigans in recruiting, as Caleb Williams and a bunch of Oklahoma players follow Lincoln Riley to USC. And so many of you have asked me, Torres, if you could fix NIL, if you could fix the one-time transfer, is there a way to fix it? How would you do it? I have the answers. I will spend the opening part of the show giving my two-point plan to basically fix NIL, fix the one-time transfer, and get this thing back on track the way it was intended. From there, we will talk about a really fun couple days in college basketball. Obviously, I'm going to talk a ton about that Arkansas-Auburn game on Tuesday night. Arkansas upsets number one team in the country, Auburn's first loss since November. Tell you a little bit about my thoughts on the Arkansas thing, why I'm actually impressed by Auburn despite the loss, and frankly, to be blunt, um, you know, why I think the SEC is trying, you know, there, there's some things going on in the SEC that I think you need to talk about. We will wrap the show. Really interesting story out of Kentucky. Shaden Sharp, number one high school player in America, is at Kentucky. There was a thought that he could play this year. We decide that he is not going to play. I talk about why I think that is actually the best thing that Kentucky basketball can do right now. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day really isn't the topic of the day. So much as it is really the topic of the moment in the college sports landscape as we know it. And the topic of the moment is the new world of college sports as we know it. We're about a year in now, a little under a year. But for years, we were saying, we got to modernize college sports. Well, last summer, for the first time, players were able to capitalize off their name, image, likeness. We were saying for years... Players should be able to transfer without having to sit out a year. Coaches get to leave all the time. Players should be allowed to do the same. Well, last summer, that rule goes into effect as well. And now we're about, what, eight, nine months into the new world of college sports as we know it, where players can now make money off their name, image, likeness, and, of course, transfer without having to sit out. But, of course, with progression, there's always hiccups, right? We all agreed that it was time to modernize college sports in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't make sense to have 100,000 people show up at the horseshoe and all a player gets is a room, room, board, dorm, whatever. So we all knew it was time to modernize college sports, but I think what has happened now is we are seeing the trickle-down effect of things. We are seeing what happens when there are no regulations at all put into place to monitor these things. I mean, listen, anything, there's a lot of things that are awesome in life, but you still have to have some sort of regulation. Drinking beer is fun. Drinking beer at 8 a.m. in the car on your way into work? Ah, there, there's, there's laws against that. You can't, be, you, know, you, can't have a beer, you can't be swigging a beer out of your coffee cup, coffee mug, while you're going into work. Ice cream is awesome. 
But there's a reason your parents don't let you eat it three times a day when you're a kid. And so it's the same with NIL and the transfer portal. And really over the last few weeks, it's come to a head, right? It's come to a head because of everything that is either happening above board or what we think is happening. Obviously, the recruiting world, it was a crazy week last week with Texas A&M officially finishing up that number one ranked recruiting class, not only of this year, but of all time. You hear Lane Kiffin's comments. You hear Nick Saban's comments. We talked about it on the show last week. And whether Texas A&M actually did what they were accused of, and I talked about why I think it's probably a little bit overblown, but whether they did it or not, somebody's doing it. And if somebody didn't do it this year, somebody's going to do it next year because they think they got to keep up with what they think Texas A&M is doing. It's the same with the transfers. We all agree that guys should be allowed to leave if they want. But we have 2,000 guys in the transfer portal now. And let's be honest, there's going to be hundreds of players that end up without a scholarship because they went in the portal, have nowhere to go. So these two things were put into place for good reasons, for the right reasons. But now we are seeing the trickle-down effect. And now it is clear that we need some sort of regulation. And with all the Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M stuff last week, with Caleb Williams committing to USC last week, with everything going on with the portal players now, second semester is going at most schools, a lot of players are stuck in the portal with nowhere to go, I think it is officially time that here on the Aratora Sports Podcast, we talk about how we can kind of keep this stuff in check. Not saying we can't have NIL, not saying we can't have the one-time transfer rule, but how do we kind of regulate it? so that it at least makes a little bit of sense, right? So that we don't have the alleged slush fund. If it's not a Texas A&M, it's going on somewhere else. I promise you that. Where we don't have tampering and all, you know, players leaving college football programs or college basketball programs in the middle of the season, in the middle of this, in the middle of that. So I have come up with, in my opinion, two simple steps to fix NIL and to fix the transfer portal. One for each, very simple And if the NCAA just called me up, this is what I would tell them, and this would solve 90% of the issues. Wouldn't solve every issue, but I believe that it would solve the vast, vast, vast majority of them. So let's start with NIL and how I believe the one step needed to fix it. And it's funny, right? Because I'll tell you a funny story about NIL. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about it really the last few weeks as the Jimbo Fisher stuff really picked up steam. 2019, last Final Four before the pandemic kind of turned the world upside down. I'm at the Final Four in Minneapolis, and I am hosting Fox Sports Radio with my good buddy, Chris Broussard. I love Chris Broussard. I don't know how many of you watch him on TV or hear him on the radio. Chris is one of the nicest people that I have ever met in this business. But we're at the Final Four. He's doing some kind of speaking event, and I'm hosting radio with him the day before the event. And obviously, you're at the Final Four. There's 80,000 people in the stands, or there's going to be 80,000 people in the stands the next day. And we start talking about what was the big topic at the time, which is, of course, College athletes not being paid. And like, you know, I think my stance on this has been pretty clear is we got to figure out a way to do it. But I remember talking to Chris at the time. And at the time, if you remember about two years ago, the big buzz term in before we got to NIL was market value. It was market. They deserve to be paid their market value. And I said, well, Chris, now, wait a second. I love you, Chris. I don't even know if Chris would remember this. I'm going to see him later this week at the Super Bowl kind of uh, events. But I remember saying to Chris, I said, wait a second now. Why are college athletes allowed to get their market price when pro athletes aren't? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, "Uh, LeBron James is not making his market value right now. LeBron James, if he went into the free agent market, if he went into the open market and was allowed to make as much money as he possibly could, here's the bottom line. He ain't making 30 million. He ain't making 40 million. He ain't making whatever the value or whatever he is making as an NBA player. No, 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 no. If you think about it with LeBron James, if he became a free agent, guess what happens? If he really reached his market value, he might get paid 75 million. He might get paid 100 million. He might get paid 200 million because that's how much he means to a franchise. Same with Aaron Rodgers. Same right now with Joe Burrow. I mean, what is the highest paid quarterback in the NFL make? About $40 million a year? Yeah, put Joe Burrow on the open market. Put Joe Burrow on the open market after the Super Bowl and see how much his market value is because I guarantee it's going to be more than $40 million. Guarantee whether it's the Cowboys or the, the Bears or whoever. I don't know who needs a quarterback off the top of my head. The Saints, the Patriots, whatever. Somebody's going to pay him more than $40 million. Somebody's going to pay him more than $50 million because they know if you get Joe Burrow, you get him for the next 10 years, you're going to be competing for Super Bowls every year. And so I remember saying to Chris, I said, like, look, I'm for the idea of guys getting paid. But if we just 
open it up as a truly free market, it's going to be chaos. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Again, for the thousandth time, I don't know if what the Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M accusations are, are true or not. But if they're not true, somebody else is doing it. And if somebody else isn't doing it, then guess what? Somebody else is going to do it next year because they think they're falling behind. So the question becomes, how do you fix it? How do you regulate it? How do you get it where the players that deserve the money get the money? And I have a very simple solution for that. From now on, going forward, NIL deals, you have to be in college for one year to receive an NIL deal. In other words, if you take money before you get to campus, if you take money during the recruitment, by the way, I'm not saying a kid shouldn't take it. I'm not saying a parent shouldn't take it. But if a school offers it, guess what? That's called an NCA violation and you get in trouble. So no NIL deals until a year after you get to campus or going into your sophomore year. Now, some of you would say, oh, that's not fair, Torres. That's not fair. They, de- they, deserve-, they deserve it. Well, what I would say is this. Who is it really unfair to? Who is it really unfair to when boosters under the table are paying recruits money and calling it NIL? It's not unfair to the players that are getting it. And by the way, I'm not blaming the players for taking it if they're taking it. But you know who it's actually unfair to? It's unfair to the guys currently on the roster. Just think about what happened at Ohio State this year. Quinn Ewers moves up his recruitment, reclassifies, came to Ohio State, tells Pete Thamel, then at Yahoo, now at ESPN, I am coming because I'm leaving too much money in NIL by staying in high school football. So he gets to Ohio State, makes somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars. Is it a little bit more? Is it a little bit less? I don't know. Gets a car dealership deal with one of the local Ohio State Buckeye, uh, oh, you know, the, the, the Columbus area car dealers. Gets some sweetheart deal. What did Quinn Ewers do to deserve that? Nothing. And you know who, didn't, you know who did deserve that? What are the guys that actually stepped on the field and contributed at Ohio State this year? So rather than giving it to Quinn Ewers as an incentive to come to Ohio State, you know who actually deserves that? C.J. Stroud does. Jackson Smith and Jigba does. Uh, if you go across college sports, Bryce Young deserves to get paid. Um, you know, Caleb Williams, even at USC, even if NIL was an inducement to get Caleb Williams to USC, guess what? At least USC's boosters know they're getting a return on their investment because he actually delivered on the field at Oklahoma. And so to me, I'm not against guys getting paid, but the, the intent of this rule, and again, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but the intent of this rule was that if you go to Ohio State to play football, if you go to Alabama to play football, if you go to Kentucky to play basketball, if you go to Arkansas, Ohio, wherever, and you ball out, then yeah, we got to take care of you because guess what? C.J. Stroud, you're putting 100,000 people in the horseshoe every single week. And Keon Brooks, Oscar Sheetway, whoever, you're putting 20,000 people in Rupp Arena every week. Devo Davis, Jalen Williams, you're putting people in Bud Walton Arena every week. That is what NIL was intended for, and I have no problem if C.J. Stroud is driving around Ohio State in the nicest car on campus because he deserves it. He earned it. But the idea that these guys are getting paid allegedly, you know, and it's not even alleged in Quinn Ewer's case, he got a million dollars to go to Ohio State. How is that? It's, everyone that says it's unfair. Yeah, it is unfair. It's unfair to the guys on the roster that are actually playing and actually making money for the school. That's who it's unfair to. And so to me, that's the easy fix for NIL. And it's not perfect. And I will say this. We can make a few exceptions so that players can get a little bit of money as freshmen. I'm not saying that they should have to rub nickels together and uh, you know, pick through the, the dumpster in the back of the, the football facility to, 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 to put together a meal. We can figure out a way to get them money. And here's my solution to that as well, because I'm a solution-oriented guy. There are two exceptions to the NIL rule that you have to be one year removed from high school to get NIL money. One, if it is a team-wide NIL deal, then the freshmen get a cut just like everybody else. So I'll give you an example. Michigan State, the entire athletic department has an NIL deal with some booster. And I don't remember all the details, but what I remember was at Michigan State, every football player, every men's basketball player, every women's basketball player, all of them that are on scholarship get $50,000 a year from some booster, some company, some whatever. And it's an NIL deal and they post and they this and they that. 
So whether you're the star quarterback or, you know, uh, what's the kid's name? Kenneth Walker, the running back, all the way down to the last player on scholarship for the women's basketball team, everybody gets 50K. And it's no different in my version of what NIL should look like. You show up, you get a scholarship, you sign the papers, 50K. If it's a team-wide deal, then you get part of it too. The other way that a player can make money as a freshman is through jersey sales. So Apollo Bancaro shows up, and he is very clearly like, I don't know, one of the two or three best players in college basketball. And he's balling out. And everybody's buying, I think he wears number zero. Everybody's buying zero jerseys with Bancaro on the back. Yeah, he should make some money off that. So to me, that is how you solve the whole NIL situation. That is how you get, you get out of the slush fund game. You get out of the whatever game. Where, yes, if there's a team-wide NIL deal, then the freshmen get a cut. But if not, we're not just going to be writing checks and handing out bags of cash and calling it NIL in recruiting when it's very clearly not NIL. It's very clearly just paying recruits. That's how you solve the NIL stuff. Very simple. I have an even simpler process to solve the transfer portal stuff. And oh, by the way, people say, oh, I mean, there's, there's no way you could do it legally and blah, 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 and this and that. Well, the NBA says you can't go to, go to the NBA unless you're one year removed from high school. Uh, the NFL says you can't go unless you're three years. There's ways to get around it. So anyway, now the transfer stuff. And the transfer stuff is interesting. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know where I've stood on the transfer stuff where, from wherever. I've been in the same position on the transfer stuff for about three, four years now. My true belief is that if the coach that recruits you, the head coach, retires, gets fired, leaves for another job, you should be able to leave as well. You should be able to leave as well. I've never not thought that. I've always thought, coach that, that, that recruited you, leaves for another school, gets fired, you should be allowed to do what you want. You shouldn't have to stay to play for somebody else. You know, you know if Caleb Williams, he shouldn't have to stay to play for Brent Venables. He committed to play for Lincoln Riley. So I have no problem with that. But the reality is the one-time transfer rule is here. It's not going anywhere. But it's absolute chaos, right? And I'll give you a couple quick examples. First of all, we still have kids in football transferring now but I'll give you another example of how crazy it gets and why some sort of regulation needs to be put in place. First of all, what's ending up happening now is like in football, uh, if you're second, third, fourth on the depth chart and you know you're not going to play, you have kids entering the portal in September, in October, visiting other schools, finding your spot on the depth chart. And by the way, I don't even blame those players because guess what? If you wait till the end of the season and you do what is right and you do what you're supposed to do, wait till the end of the season enter the portal after the season, well, guess what? Your spot might be gone. So I'm not, I don't even blame the players for doing it. But at the same time, we can't just have this chaos of the transfer portal as it is. I'll give you another example from basketball. And I don't know that there was any tampering or any issues or any of this or any of that. But there's a kid at Ohio State right now named Cedric Russell. I'm not accusing Ohio State of doing anything wrong. But this kid, Cedric Russell, was basically his team's best player for last season. And Cedric Russell goes through the entire summer and on or in early July, late June, early July, announces that he's leaving. He was at Louisiana Lafayette, Louisiana. He announces that he is leaving Louisiana to enter the transfer portal. Now I'll say this. I know nobody feels sympathy for these 10 million, 20 million, you know, these coaches that have these 20, 25, 30 million dollar guaranteed contracts. Nobody feels bad for John Calipari. Nobody feels bad for Tom Izzo. Nobody feels bad for Nate Oates, whatever. But at the same time, first of all, all these coaches aren't making this money. And so you have a guy at like Louisiana Lafayette, and I don't even know who the coach is. I'm not going to bat for my guy. But you have the guy at Louisiana Lafayette. He goes through the entire season, then workouts after the season. Then through Memorial Day, into June. And then he finds out that his best player is leaving in June? You can't replace your best player in June. doesn't matter if you're Kentucky. doesn't matter who you are. You can't replace a player that good that late in the calendar. And so I bring it up because there has to be some sort of regulation on the transfers. And to me, there is a simple solution for this as well. We have what are called transfer windows, right? We have transfer windows in European soccer, but that's like a free agency period. And we have a free agency period in football. We have a free agency period in the NBA. I think it's time that we put in a transfer window or a transfer period in college sports. And I think we should have two distinct transfer periods where 
you can leave the team, you can quit your football team in October, but you can only enter the portal. You can only be contacted by other schools in two very specific windows, and here's what they are. The first one is December 15th to January 15th, so basically after the first semester. And why I like this idea, let me explain why. First of all, the football season, the regular season, most teams end right around Thanksgiving, right? Then you have the conference championship games a week later. And what we, we see increasingly is the second the season is over, guys bounce to the portal. You know why? Because they're, they're, they're tired of where they are. And I don't blame them. When you are done, we all played sports at some point. When you're done with the season, you're tired of seeing the coach. You're tired of seeing the assistant coach. You're tired of seeing the teammates. And so to me, why I like this idea is this. Most of these guys can't spend the beginning part of December. They're not practicing because they have finals. They can't travel to visit other schools because they have finals. So what we do is we kind of have like a two-week cooling off period after the season, one week if you're a team playing in the conference championship games. Basically, season ends, coaching staff and the players, they don't really talk anyway. The, the, the coaching staff is actually going on the road. But right now, the way the system is set up, especially in football, the coaching staff has to spend the first few weeks after the season re-recruiting their players to the roster to come back for the next season. And so what I think we should do after the season ends through December 15th, it's a quiet period. Players can't talk to coaches. Coaches can't talk to players. Cool off, whatever. Maybe two or three days before, you start the process where coaches can re-engage their players. What do you want to do? What's the future? Blah, 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 this and that. Then from December 15th to January 15th, you can enter the transfer portal. You got a month. Most, t most kids are only going to visit two or three schools anyway because one, they either have finals. Two, they have this. Three, they have that. Four is, as I said a minute ago, if they don't commit, they're going to lose their spot. So most guys, if they go to a place, they know they like it, they know this is the place for them, they're going to commit on the spot. And so we have this open window. And by the way, we can have a dead period, say, for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, where schools can't contact players, players can't contact schools, so coaches can spend a little time with their families. But we have a one-month period where if you want to transfer, you've got to put your butt in the portal, and you have to be committed by the end of January 15th to be eligible at your next school. If not there, then you have to wait until the spring. And so I think that solves a lot of issues. One, a little bit of a cooling off period after the season because you, your coach drove you crazy. Take a deep breath. Do you really want to be here or not? Then if you don't, you got one month to figure out where it is, and then you don't have what we have now, which is guys entering the portal either, oh, by the way, during the season, quit the team. I'm going to enter the portal in September, October, November, find a spot before the season even ends. Or the opposite, which is that they're waiting until – mid to late January after the semester started trying to figure out where am I going to go, whatever, blah, 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 this and that. And then I also think on top of that, we should have a second transfer window from May 1 to June 1. So if you don't transfer, the, the, the transfer portal is only open. You can only submit your name and schools can only reach out from January, uh, December 15th to January 15th. If you're not in the portal at that time, schools can't contact you. January 15th is the cutoff date. End of story. You don't have another spot, that's on you. You don't pull your name out on time, that's on you. Portal's closed, nobody can reach out to you. But there is also another transfer window in mid to late, in, in mid to late spring. So my idea is May 1 to June 1. And here's why. Because right now, and this is more of a football, more of a basketball thing than a football thing, but watch how the transfer portal works in basketball when the season's done. The second your team's season ends, guys enter the portal. Again, because of the fact that they have to find their spot before somebody else takes it. And so what you literally had, I talked to coaches all the time about this last year. Remember that college basketball bubble in Indianapolis? You had teams, the further they went, all of a sudden they're scouting their next opponent and they're also trying to evaluate transfers in the bubble while they're playing NCAA tournament games, figuring out what their, their roster next year is going to look like. And so I believe that we should just, if you leave it the way it is, Guys are going to just, just enter the, the day the season ends, and it's just going to be this never-ending cycle for three, four months, which we saw last year into July. Into July, guys were transferring. And I believe July 1 was the cutoff date to be eligible for September 1. That's too long. That's too long. May 1 to June 1, and here's why that makes sense. Because, in, especially in basketball, but football too, you're playing in March. You're playing in April. Football, spring practice, 
everything basically ends the middle of April. And then you got this little thing called finals. So college basketball ends mid-March, late March, whatever. Spring football ends usually early April, mid-April. And so at that point, again, it's another kind of cooling off period and, and all that good stuff. And then from there, you take your finals, you chill for a week or two, you go home, and you figure out, do I want to stay at this school or not? And then you have from May 1 to June 1. And you know why it makes perfect sense, especially for basketball? Because that's also kind of the time that the NBA draft deadline is. NBA draft deadline is right around June 1 in most years. Now, the last couple of years, it's been off because of COVID. But most of the time, it's around June 1. So that way, the coach goes into the spring. He doesn't have to worry about, okay, am I going to get a phone call that this kid's going to transfer? You have a couple weeks in the lead up to May 1. What are you thinking? What are you going to do? Whatever. And then you got until you got from May 1 to June 1 to figure out where you're going. None of this, I'm going to enter the portal in June. None of it, I'm going to late June. I'm going to test the this. I'm going to do that. No, you're in the portal. You got to figure out where you're going to go. You got to get out of the portal by June 1. To me, that just solves so many of these issues. And again, I'm not Mr. Anti-NIL. CJ Stroud, go get your money. Bryce Young, go get your money. Oscar Shibway, he can't even make money because he's an international student. Go get your money, man. You deserve it. And oh, by the way, there's going to be plenty for Paulo Bancaro. There's going to be plenty for Jabari Smith. There's going to be plenty for, you know, whatever five-star quarterback signs wherever. But we have to put rules in place. And to me, those are the rules. That is how it gets fixed. NIL, you have to be one year removed. You're a sophomore. Whether you played or not, somebody wants to pay you like Bryce Young before you ever played a game, at least he's been on campus for a year. More realistically, you're going to be paying guys that have delivered, that have proven that they are going to be a worthy investment on you. It's not going to be all about signing a five-star rather than giving the guy on campus the money that he hasn't earned. And then with the transfer portal stuff, not saying you shouldn't be able to transfer, not saying you shouldn't be able to have other opportunities if you want. By the way, Caleb Williams, whoever, I'm not saying if your coach leaves, you shouldn't be able to follow him. But why do we have this thing where 365 days a year, every single coach in America has to be monitoring his roster because he doesn't know who's coming, who's going? December 15th to January 15th, May 1st to June 1st, that solves 90% of the issues and it makes everybody's life easier. Makes the coaches' lives easier. Makes the players' lives easier. Makes the parents' lives easier. Makes the administrators' lives easier. It makes everything easier. Those are my two ideas to fix the transfer portal, and to fix NIL. Woo! What an opening segment of the Airtour Sports Podcast. So what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and I want to talk a little bit about the on-the-court stuff that happened in college hoops on Tuesday night. A lot of good games, a lot to discuss. We will be right back. All right, we'll get back to college basketball in a minute. But before we do... I want to welcome back our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook who have an incredible offer with the Super Bowl coming up next week. Here's the deal. First-time users, $5 money line bet on either team. It could be L.A., it could be Cincinnati. All you got to do is pick the winner. Don't need a point spread, don't need an over-under, know that. $5, and if that team wins, $280 in free bets, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Tell them Aaron sent you. Here's how you take advantage. First of all, click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on either team. Los Angeles, Cincinnati, whoever you want, $5. If that team wins an automatic $280 in free bets, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook, it is the best offer going, so make sure to take advantage now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, New York, Louisiana only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears. And as fun as that NIL uh, transfer portal conversation was, got kind of serious there for a second. 
we do have to talk about what is going on on the court right now because I'll say this. I love, listen, I, I love all sports. I love what I do. I'm blessed to do what I do. Love college football, watch the NFL, watch the NBA for the playoffs. But there is something special about this time of year. Late February, ramping up into March, NCAA Tournament Final Four National Championship. It goes without saying there is not a single sport on the planet that has a better postseason than college basketball. And on top of that, this is the time of year where it really starts to ramp up, where the games really start to matter, where it really starts to mean something. And there was not a single game that better exemplifies that than what we saw on Tuesday night at Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville, Arkansas. There, the number one ranked Auburn Tigers walked into Bud Walton with a 22-1 record. Nothing but respect for Auburn. I've had Bruce Pearl on this show. Love what they have done this season. But they walked into a hostile, banana, insane environment and walked out with an 80-76 loss, just their second loss of the season, first loss since they played UConn in the battle for Atlantis. And so I want to break it down. I want to get into this bananas game because I'll say this. One, Arkansas has once again arrived. Two, I actually respect Auburn more after what I saw on Tuesday night in Fayetteville. But before we get to all that, let me start by saying this. How great is college basketball and how great is the fan experience in college basketball? And I know I've said this a million times. I know I've said this, I've probably done this rant five, six, seven times throughout this college basketball season, but it is so great to have fans back in the stands. And there are so many great environments in college basketball. I was in Tucson last week for Arizona, UCLA. It was bananas. Auburn has a great home environment. Rupp Arena, Fog Allen, you could go on and on. By the way, Texas, we criticize and make fun of Texas. Austin was awesome on Monday night for the Kansas game. But I bring it up to say, I don't know that there is a better example of how cool, how awesome big-time college basketball is than what we saw on Tuesday night in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Not saying it's the best home court advantage in America, but I would put what Bud Walton Arena was on Tuesday night up with anywhere in college basketball this season. The fans start lining up. On Monday morning, I had Arkansas fans tweeting me videos, tweeting me pictures of fans lining up for this Auburn game Monday morning, getting intense, staying overnight. Coach Muss in his sling as he recovers from shoulder surgery, walking tent by tent, giving fans high fives and hugs and taking pictures. By the time the game started, miles, I mean literally videos, miles of fans waiting to get into that arena. They get into that arena, everybody's wearing white, and it is a zoo from the beginning. And then from there, we get a really awesome game. Now, it wasn't a perfect game. Auburn certainly struggled early. Arkansas struggled down the stretch, or in the middle kind of stretch period. And down the stretch, it was just crazy. But Arkansas ends up forcing overtime. And what I would say is, we are once again seeing a vintage Arkansas Eric Musselman team. This is a team that earlier in the year lost three straight games to open SEC play. Arkansas fans, you don't want to admit it now, but I had some of you saying it's time to move on to baseball season. Instead, this is what Eric Musselman does every single year. And by the way, listen, I've had Coach Muss on this podcast a million times. Some of you guys, oh, you love Coach Muss. No, I respect the hell out of Coach Muss. I respect the hell out of Coach Muss because he does this every single year. I have been watching him since the Nevada days. And at Nevada, at a school where he started doing the transfer thing before anybody did, it didn't get figured out overnight. But this guy shows up and in year one wins 24 games. In year two is in the NCAA tournament. In year three is in the Sweet 16. In year four... Starts the preseason at the University of Nevada in Reno with a top 10 team in the country. And then he goes to Arkansas, and he's doing it again. And the best example of it was Tuesday night. And I'm going to get into what he's done since he got to Arkansas in a minute. The stats, they will blow you away. But what he does 
every school, every program has a brand. When it, the good ones do. They have a brand when it comes to college basketball, college football, right? UConn basketball under Danny Hurley. Tough, physical, throw elbows, blood. If there's no blood, there's no foul. Nate Oates. I know Alabama's struggling right now, but I, I respect the hell out of Nate Oates. Threes, layups, fast, tempo, statistics, analytics. You know what Coach Muss's thing is? I'm going to have guys that are about 6'3 to 6'8, and we're just going to run up and down the court, and we're going to play harder than you. And that is exactly what we saw on Tuesday night at Bud Walton Arena. I don't know if Arkansas was the definitive better team. I actually came away really impressed by Auburn, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. But Arkansas just kept chipping, 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 take a lead, lose a lead, take a lead, lose a lead, not because they're a bad team, but because Auburn's an awesome team. Take a lead, lose a lead, take a lead, lose a lead, fall down, come back. And what do they end up doing? Last possession, key play, what happens? They find a way to make a play because this is what Eric Musselman teams do. J.D. Note with the steal. Layup, tie game, go to overtime, Arkansas wins. Arkansas wins, and it's absolutely bananas. They upset the number one team in the country. And I will tell you this. I have a vivid picture in my head from this game that I don't think I've seen in college basketball all year this year. Maybe once or twice, but it was in overtime. Walker Kessler, who I think might be the most underrated player in college basketball, Walker Kessler follows out in overtime. He has his hands on his hips because he knows that he has given it his all, and we're going to talk about Auburn in a minute. But instead, what happens? The camera cuts to Bruce Pearl. And this is no disrespect to Bruce Pearl. I love Bruce Pearl. I've had him on this show. He's incredible. He's been great to me. But I bring it up because there's this picture in my head. Bruce Pearl is just staring out into space because he knows that his team gave every single thing they had, every single ounce of energy. They're down their starting point guard, Zeb Jasper. And there's nothing left. And there's nothing he can do. There's no substitution that he can make. They just lost to a better team. And so Arkansas ends up winning. And again, it goes back to, this is the Musselman magic, man. And listen, there's a lot of great coaches in college basketball, so this isn't just about Coach Muss. Like I said... We got great coaches. Bruce Pearl's a great coach. Mick Cronin's a great coach. Mark Few, for all the criticism he gets, is a great coach every single day. Mark Few gets the opponent's best shot, and they usually win by 40. But what is so incredible about Eric Musselman, he takes these teams, and he doesn't always have it figured out in November. It's like Cal Perry. Doesn't always have it figured out in December. But all of a sudden, every year, he starts to figure it out early to mid-January, and that's exactly what happened this year. Lose three in a row to, to, to start SEC play. They're struggling. Who knows how good they are? Are they going to be able to figure it out? Are they an NIT team? Are they not going to? Oh, all of a sudden, they start winning games. Then they win at LSU when he's out with surgery. They win a couple more games. They win a couple more games. They win a couple more games until they get to this moment against Auburn on Tuesday, and they just refuse to lose. And so what I would just tell Arkansas fans, enjoy this moment. Okay, enjoy this moment because it's not supposed to be this easy. It's incredible to me. Again, I've watched this guy since the Nevada days, and I'm sorry to over-exemplify or over-hype or whatever. It's not supposed to be this easy, guys and girls, right? Think about it. This guy goes to Nevada, as I said, in year one, wins 24 games. They won like three the year before. I forget the exact number. It was like three or six or eight or something. Wins 24. Year two NCAA tournament. Year three Sweet 16. Year four starts in the top 10. Fast forward Arkansas. Gets to Arkansas. Year one, they would have made the tournament. But one, there was no tournament. And two, their best player, Isaiah Joe, second best player, gets hurt, is out for most of the season. Then last year, it's the same as this year. It's November. We're figuring it out. It's December. We're figuring it out. All of a sudden, you look up. They can't stop losing. They can't stop winning. They can't stop winning. I don't remember all the details, but I think at one point they won 11 straight SEC games. This year they're currently on a nine-game win streak in SEC play. They're currently on a nine-game win streak in SEC play for the second or the nine-game win streak this year. So I think they had an 11-12 game win streak by the time that it was snapped in the SEC tournament last year. And they have a nine-game win streak right now, eight straight games in SEC play. This is how good Eric Musselman is. 
I looked this up. Arkansas had never had an eight-game SEC win streak. They hadn't had an SEC an eight-game SEC win streak since 1993-94. Not sure if you heard Arkansas won a national championship that year. They got one last year. They're currently on a nine-game win streak, eight-game SEC win streak. So think about that. They did not have a nine, an eight-game SEC win streak from 1993-94 till the time Eric Musselman got there. Now they have two in back-to-back years. And it shows how special this team, and it shows how good it is. And listen, the SEC is not, not, a, you know, not for the faint of heart. And we're going to get into that in a minute because I have another thought on the SEC overall. But what I would say is this. I know I said it a few times now, but Arkansas fans enjoy this moment. It's not supposed to be this easy. It's not supposed to be this good. And you just upset the number one team in the country at Bud Walton Arena in one of the craziest environments in college basketball. Unbelievable night. I hope everybody enjoyed it. There was nothing better than me being on the couch, sitting on the sidelines, watching everybody celebrating at Bud Walton Arena. I know many of you were there, um, you know, waving towels. Coach Muss, uh, you know, sing and dance and everybody having a good time. It was just... Uh, it was just insane, man. It was just insane, and I really hope everybody enjoyed it again. It's not supposed to be this easy, but it is. Credit to Eric Musman. By the way, credit to all the guys on the court. I don't mean to undersell any individual player. J.D. Note, by the way, Oscar Sheboy is going to win SEC Player of the Year, and he's deserving, but J.D. Note, I'll tell you this. At, at uh, Aaron Torres Online, we did our first and second team All-Americans a few weeks ago. If we have a second, third-team All-American in the postseason, which we will, J.D. Note is starting to play himself into that conversation. Credit to the rest of the guys that are starting to figure it out on that roster. Jalen Williams is awesome. As I said the other day, there's not one player in college basketball that does more little things to help his team win than J.D. Note. Audie Stoney, 14 points on Tuesday night. Stanley Amude, a couple big threes. Just an awesome, awesome, awesome environment. Really quick, let me also say this. Auburn lost for just the second time this season. First time since Thanksgiving week. Since the day before Thanksgiving when they played UConn in the battle for Atlantis. And I think it'd be easy on a day like today to try and figure out what's wrong with Auburn? What happened? What's this? What's that? Let me say this. I actually gained a newfound respect for Auburn on Tuesday night. Because that wasn't just the most hostile environment that Auburn has played in as a road opponent all year. That was as hostile of an environment as anyone will play in all season long. And Auburn had a chance to win that game. And oh, by the way, they had a chance to win without Zeb Jasper, their starting point guard, who's been out with illness, non-COVID-related illness for the last two games. And so Auburn walks into the toughest environment that they'll play in all year. Without their starting point guard, who is phenomenal, statistically it doesn't really stand out, but the guy plays 24 minutes a game, does all the little things, helps them win, and he hasn't been available to play, and Auburn easily could have won that game. We're celebrating Arkansas, and it's awesome, and Arkansas, enjoy every moment of this. But let's also call a spade a spade. Auburn could have easily won that game, and in many ways, I have a newfound respect for him. Because how many teams in college basketball would have folded in that environment? How many teams would have fallen down in the first half and just said, you know what, we'll come back in a few weeks, we'll be good to, you know, we'll come back in a few days, play our next game, we'll be good to go. Auburn fought, Auburn had a chance to win. Let me also say this, two things. One, Jabari Smith, their star freshman, deserves every single piece of praise that he gets. But I would also say, I think Walker Kessler the transfer from UNC, I would argue is as important to Auburn as any player is to his team in college basketball. Now, maybe there's one or two. Maybe Oscar Shibway is a little bit more important to Kentucky. Maybe J.D. Note is a little bit more important to Arkansas. Maybe Ochai Abaji is a little bit more important to Kansas. But you talk about guys that make a difference on every single possession of the game. Walker Kessler's right up there. First of all, I don't have a vote for National Defensive Player of the Year. But if I did, Walker Kessler's runaway. 12 points, 8 boards, 4 blocks per game. Right now, as I record here, and this is subject to change, but 
This is a guy that statistically is number two in the country in block shots. And listen to this stat line that he had against Arkansas. And remember, he fouled out. He was in foul trouble for some of this game. 33 minutes played, 16 points, 19 rebounds, 7 blocks. This guy is incredible. This guy's developed. And by the way, this is a great example of why the transfer portal is good, why it works. He's at North Carolina last year. He's a McDonald's All-American. Good for him. Went to North Carolina. Probably, you know, he wanted to play for that blue blood. It did not work out. He found a place that fit him perfectly, and now he is playing his best basketball. And so I know this is one of those nights where everybody wants to sit back and, oh, Auburn, I knew all along Auburn. Well, Auburn was going to lose. Bruce Pearl said it on this podcast. Bruce Pearl said, look, we're going to lose at some point. My team's awesome. I respect the hell out of them. But we're going to lose at some point. You can go back and listen. Two Thursdays ago, he came on the show. I have a newfound respect for Auburn after this game. I really came away more impressed with them than I had been at any point in this season. One last thought on this game, and then we'll get to some of the other results from Monday and Tuesday night. And that's this. And I tweeted it out. Some of you guys and girls may have seen it. Some of you haven't. So Dana O'Neill is a writer for The Athletic. Dana O'Neill recently released a book about kind of those old school, the old school Big East, the Patrick Ewing Georgetown, the uh, Syracuse with Jim Beheim, although Jim Beheim's somehow still there 40 years later, PJ Carlissimo at Seton Hall, Chris Mullen at St. John's, Louis Carnesecca at St. John's. And if you read that book, it is incredibly well done by Dana O'Neill. And it's basically a history of the Big East, but the thing that you come away with, right, if you read that book, is that the Big East was just different in the 80s. Every single night was a war. Every single night was a fight. Every single year, there's a new team stepping up. So it starts in the early 80s with whoever. Then it's Patrick Ewing's Georgetown teams. Then it's Chris Mullins' St. John's teams. Then Roley Massimino, Villanova wins a national championship. Then by 1987, a year later, two years later, Rick Pitino's on the, uh, on the rise at Providence. Then Rick Pitino leaves. It's P.J. Carlissimo at, at Seton Hall. Then Seton Hall. Then UConn with Jim Calhoun. And so why do I bring it up? It's because I just finished the book, and if you read that book, you realize something. Man, that was a great time for college basketball, and there was nothing like the Big East back in the day. Best players, great fan bases, biggest personalities when it came to head coaches. So why do I bring it up? Well, I tweeted it out on Tuesday night. We'll never have anything like that again. We'll never have a player like Patrick Ewing who could have been the number one pick in the draft after his freshman year coming back for three more years to play college basketball. But in the modern era, the closest thing that we have, and I was thinking about this while I was watching this game, it's the SEC. Think about the SEC right now. Think about the personalities. Think about how tough this league is on a night-to-night basis. And I understand there's 14 teams, and there are some pushovers. Georgia stinks. South Carolina stinks. Whatever. But think about the SEC right now. You have on any given night these big, bold, aggressive, you know, fun personalities. John Calipari's a lunatic. Bruce Pearl's a lunatic. Eric Musselman is out on the court with his shirt off, waving it around with one arm in a sling. Nate Oates is, is just fearless. Nate Oates is yelling and screaming when they win the SEC title last year against LSU. Will Wade, you can love or hate him, but that man has some personality to him. Jerry Stackhouse, he ain't backing down from anybody. Buzz Williams, he's kind of on the side, but piss off Buzz Williams, see what happens with you. And oh, by the way, this year they have the number one pick in the draft, Jabari Smith, and they probably have the National Player of the Year in Oscar Sheepway. And so I was thinking about that today. And by the way, I didn't even mention Tennessee, who's awesome this year. I didn't even mention Florida. I make fun of Mike White, but that team can beat anybody on any given night. And so I bring it up to say, I read this book. It was a great book. I encourage you to read it. They say there's nothing going to be ever like that again. The SEC isn't exactly like that because, again, nothing will be like that but it's pretty darn close. Bruce Pearl's a hell of a personality with a hell of a basketball team. Nate Oates is a hell of a personality. His team's not as good this year, but guess what? Got a number three ranked recruiting class coming in next year. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell all my Nate Oates stock. Eric Musselman, Elite Eight last year, nine-game winning streak that they're currently on. John Calipari, kind of the, the legend, the godfather, if you will. 
enjoy this era of Big East basketball or of SEC basketball. This is a really fun time to just be a college basketball fan. I do want to get some other results from over the last few days. Uh, first of all, I just I did mention it a minute ago. And by the way, I talk about big personalities in college basketball and in the SEC specifically. We'll never forget, we got two other teams coming to the SEC here in a year or two. One is Oklahoma, one is Texas. And there is no bigger personality in the sport of college basketball than Chris Beard. And Chris Beard finally did pick up his first signature win at Texas on Monday night. I'd be remiss if I did not give them credit. I'd be remiss if I did not talk a little bit about that. If only because I spent so much time in the offseason talking about Chris Beard, talking about Texas, and talking about what I believe to be a program that was not only on the rise, but was an ascending meteor that I believed could be the next great program in college basketball. They signed a million guys out of the transfer portal. They're all pretty much awesome. And I'll be blunt, it didn't really click for most of the season. But Monday night at home against Kansas, they play their best game. All those transfers come together. Timmy Allen, 24 points. Trey Mitchell, 17 points. Uh, Andrew Jones off the bench has 10. Marcus Carr has 10. And so I'm not going to oversell it. I'm not going to do the whole, oh, Texas is back, LOL. No. But they did play Kansas at home. This is Chris Beard's first year. They did pick up a win. And I do believe that Chris Beard is starting to figure it out with these guys. I talk about it. I just talked about it a minute ago with Eric Musselman. I've talked about it for years with John Calipari. There are certain coaches that they can flip their roster every year. And sometimes it takes time. And sometimes it doesn't get figured out on November 15th or December 11th or January 3rd. But it gets figured out. Chris Beard is one of those guys. I think Chris Beard's got it figured out. As you look at Texas, listen, man, you can, you can make your is Texas back jokes. They've now won five of six. I think I talked about them after they lost to Kansas State a few weeks ago. They have now won five of six. They beat Tennessee in Rick Barnes' return. They beat Iowa State the other day. They beat Kansas on Monday. And guess what? They get set to play at Baylor on they get set to play at Baylor on Saturday. So we're going to learn out just how good they are. A couple of the results from Tuesday night. One, first of all, shout out to the Yukon Huskies. Uh, not a ton to say. They were awesome. We're on a five-game losing streak. They lost two in a row last week, including really the worst game that they've played all year against Marquette or against uh, Villanova on Saturday, a game that I bet don't want to talk about it. They bounced back with a really nice 80-72 to win. Um, and I'll say this. I picked UConn to go to the Final Four in the preseason. My preseason Final Four was Kansas was my national champion. Texas on top of that, UConn and UCLA. That was my preseason Final Four. Well, UConn... When they do what they did on Tuesday night, they're really, really tough to beat. They have a big guy named Adama Sinogo. Last couple games, for whatever reason, they just have kind of not really fed him the ball the way that they need to. Well, he finished Tuesday night with 24 points and 15 rebounds. Tyrese Martin, I give him a ton of credit. Veteran player. He was kind of asked about what went right, what went wrong the last couple games. And he said, I need to be more aggressive going forward. And he had a much better game overall, 18 points, 15 rebounds. UConn wins that game. Uh, the other big one in the Big Ten, uh, Purdue, season sweep of Illinois. I probably did myself a disservice. I should have talked about Illinois. They just won at Indiana on Saturday. I really like that Illinois team. I also think that Purdue is a particularly bad matchup for them. Purdue beat them in Champaign a few weeks ago on Martin Luther King Day. And Purdue took care of business at home against Illinois on Tuesday night. Uh, Kofi Coburn, again, played okay, 18.7 rebounds, but kind of below his averages. And Jaden Ivey had kind of one of those National Player of the Year type moments, 28 points, six assists, four rebounds. I'm not going to over-belabor the point. Purdue is at home. Purdue is a favorite. Purdue wins. I actually like both of these teams at some point. Maybe it's next Monday's episode. At some point, maybe it's next week. Maybe it's Friday's episode. I'm going to break down the teams that I think are good enough to win a national championship. I think we're down to a core of about six to seven. I think both Purdue and Illinois are good enough to do that. All right, one little last college basketball topic before we get out of here. And I will say this. It is kind of one of the more interesting kind of back channel stories in all of college basketball over the last couple weeks. And it is the ongoing saga of Shaden Sharp. A saga that we finally got a resolution to on Monday. 
Uh, but before I kind of tell you what happened, let me give you a little bit of backstory on this kid, Shaden Sharp, what happened over the last couple days, what's really happened over the last couple months. Because in terms of college basketball, it has a major impact on this current season as well as potentially the next one as well, 2022-2023. And the backstory on Shaden Sharp is pretty straightforward. He was the number one rated high school player in the high school class of 2022. So the current kids that are graduate, that are seniors in high school right now, he was the number one high school basketball player in America. And in about, I don't know, mid to late November, maybe early December, we find out that he has decided to enroll at Kentucky for the spring semester. At the time, the intention is he's going to come, he's going to train, he's going to get better against really good players, almost like what a, a high school quarterback or a high school football player does, enrolling in January for the spring semester, get ready, play spring football, and then get ready to play the following fall. That was the plan, that was the intention, get him to Kentucky, have him compete against higher levels of competition. And then we find out, oh, by the way, once he gets to Kentucky about two weeks ago, oh, wait a second now. Because of his birthday and because of where he graduated and how he graduated from high school, he's actually eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. Now, I was telling you all along that was going to happen, so I hate to brag, but if you listen to this podcast, I told you from day one he was going to be eligible. Never, never kind of backed off of that. But it kind of turned into this almost impossible situation for John Calipari over the last month because on the one hand, um, if you don't play, if you play, if you, if you, let me put it this way. It's an almost impossible situation because you're awesome on the court, you're winning a bunch of games, but you also have a potential top five pick, which is this kid sitting on your bench. And what makes it extra interesting is it's not just that he enrolled, it's not just that he's sitting on your bench, but that, oh, by the way, uh, if you don't play him, there is a chance that he can now leave for the NBA without playing a single minute in your program, and you're losing a potential top five pick without playing him a single second. And so it's been this weird back and forth publicly. John Calipari, when, he, when the kid gets to campus, oh, he's not ready. He needs to get in shape. He's not quite there. He's this, he's that, he's whatever. Um, the fans are chanting at games, including a road game at Kansas. We want Shaden. Dun, 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 we want Shaden. So it's this weird thing where every single time Calipari has media availability, uh, he's asked about it. Every single time that Kentucky plays a game, he's hearing about it. And so we finally got a resolution on Monday. As John Calipari announced that Shaden Sharp will not, in fact, play college basketball this year, okay? He, has, he announced that this was the plan all along. Of course, he told us that was the plan, you know, five, six weeks ago. And he's, you know, he's been saying that the kid might play ever since. But John Calipari says that Shaden Sharp will not play. And as of right now, the plan is still, and the plan, he didn't say as of right now, but the plan is still he will be back in 2022, 2023 to lead the Kentucky Wildcats. What I would say is two things. One, now I'm not sure that I totally buy he's going to be back for 2022, 2023. But what I also believe is that this is actually the right decision for this kid and for the Kentucky basketball program as a whole. Now, in terms of why I think there was this weird public back and forth, listen, what I would say, I have no super inside information on this, but let me explain quickly what I think happened and then why I think it's actually beneficial for both the player and Kentucky basketball. What I'm guessing happened is this. Whenever he decided to reclassify, it was pretty much understood he is not going to play. But then through back channels, and, and by the way, the, the first report came out about two, three weeks ago that the kid was going to be draft eligible. But long before that, it seems like just about everybody had an idea that the possibility existed. And so I think when he decides to reclassify, I, I, my guess would be that there's an understanding the kid isn't going to play this year. But if there's a circumstance where he comes in and he's so much better than everybody else that it's one, hurting the team not to play him, and two, uh, you can play him and it's going to help the team and help his draft stock and uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of highlight his abilities, then we'll go ahead and play him. And so probably the last two or three weeks, the plan all along was probably, we're not going to play him, but if he comes in and he's so much better and he shouldn't even be in college next year and he's going to push us to another level, then we probably got to consider playing him. Instead, he probably is like most freshmen are the first few weeks of college basketball. Oh, by the way, most freshmen aren't stepping in in the middle of a season in conference play. And everybody kind of realizes, you know what, he's not quite ready yet. Let's hold on. Let's, let's pump the brakes. And let's go ahead and say that he's not playing at all this year. Now, in terms of the good and the bad of this decision, as I said a minute ago, 
Um, I think this was the right decision for both the kid and for the team as a whole, and let me explain why. And as I do, I want to take a kind of a phrase from another sport that I kind of think about when I think about this Shade and Sharp deal, right? About a week, two weeks ago, I'm doing a podcast, the Hot and Cold podcast, which is a Kentucky, Indiana uh, college basketball podcast. And the guys there, uh, Sam and Connor, who host that show, they do a great job. They asked me, they said, do you think Shade and Sharp should play? And the analogy that I used is, you know, remember, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago in football in the NFL, kind of before the kind of new age passing offenses and all these passes all over the field. There used to be an old saying from kind of old school football guys that, you know, you, you run the ball because if you pass the ball, there's only three things that can happen and two of them are bad. I know we got a lot of high school football coaches that, that listen. I know we got a lot of former high school, maybe college football players that listen. Remember that phrase? You're probably your high school coach told you back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. If you throw the ball, Aaron, and I wasn't a quarterback. I wasn't that good. If you throw the ball, three things can happen and two of them are bad. And I kind of think that's kind of the case with the Shade and Sharp deal, right? So when you think about the Shade and Sharp deal, I think there are three things that could have happened if you decided to play him and two of them are bad. Let's start with the good. I'm a glasses half full guy, positive vibes only. Let's start with the good of the Shade and Sharp situation. The good is he shows up and he's awesome. He probably is awesome, but let's say he shows up and he's awesome. Then you go ahead, you put him in the lineup, and you take an already good team, a team that is currently ranked in the top five nationally, and it takes them to another level. That's the best case scenario. He's really awesome. He plays like a top five pick, and he takes a team that's already a top five team to the next level. But here's the problem with that. Is that really even a best case scenario? Think about that. That's the best case scenario. He's really awesome, and he steps into a team that's already awesome and takes him to another level. That sounds like a best case scenario, but I'm not sure that it is because here's why it's not the best case scenario. The best, because it's not the best case scenario because if he comes in and he plays well, then he's definitely leaving. At least right now, there's the possibility that he comes back. Now, I'm not sure that he is coming back, but there's at least that possibility that he could come back. And so that's the best case scenario. He takes a team to another level, but even then, if he plays really well, he's leaving, and it doesn't guarantee a national championship. But that's the best case scenario, and here's the reason why I don't even think it's a best case scenario besides what I've talked about. This team's already good enough to win a national championship. And so when you start to look at why this could potentially be a bad thing, remember I said one good thing could happen, but two bad things could happen. Well, here's the bad thing that could happen. You have a team right now on February, whatever it is, 8th that I'm recording here, that's already good enough to win a national championship. I think they're the best team in college basketball. Now, we'll find out. We'll see what happens over the course of the season. There's going to be peaks and flows, ebbs and valleys, whatever. Peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows. I messed that up, but you get the point. There's going to be peaks. But, but right now, I think you can argue that Kentucky is one of the, at worst, two or three best teams in the country and maybe the best team in college basketball. And what's especially interesting about this Kentucky team is all of the pieces fit together. I know some of you aren't Kentucky fans, but let me just spend two seconds breaking down the depth chart. You have a traditional true point guard in Severe Wheeler that is one of the top five point guards in a, the country in assists. You have a player that is a combo guard that can handle the ball but play off the ball, Ty Ty Washington, who's playing like an NBA lottery pick. You have a fifth-year senior, Kellen Grady, who plays off the ball, is the SEC's leading three-point shooter. And you have Davion Mintz coming off the bench, who has been awesome the last two, three, four weeks. So let me ask you a question. As talented as Shaden Sharp is, where exactly does he fit into all that? Because you have arguably the SEC's best point guard, a lottery pick combo guard, arguably the SEC's best shooter, and arguably the SEC's probably the best sixth man in the SEC outside of Tari Eason at LSU. Where does Shaden Sharp fit in, and how does playing him impact the rest of the roster? Now, again, if the team was struggling, if there was injuries, if there was a suspension, if there was an academic, that's different. But right now, this team is firing on all cylinders after they just won at Alabama the other night. And so to me, I just don't see the scenario where you put this guy in, now you got to play him. How good is he with the ball not in his hands? You already have two guys that kind of sort of need the ball in their hands and Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler. Now you add another guy? Now that's less minutes for Kellen Grady. That's less minutes for Davion Mintz. That's less minutes for the best point guard in the SEC and Severe Wheeler. 
And if you play Shaden Sharp, it kind of messes up the chemistry, and I think it probably ultimately does more harm than good. Now, that's not to say the kid's a bad kid. He's a bad person. He's going to ruin everything, but it is a reality. Basketball's a team game, and as the old cliche goes, and as boring as the cliche is, it's true. There's only one ball. There's only one ball to go around. And so I think when I talk about one, there's one good possibility and two bad ones, there's the team aspect of it, and then there's also the player aspect of it. I think it's pretty clear at this point that the kid probably could hold his own in college basketball, but that throwing him to the Wolves right now is not what's best for him at this specific moment. If he was that good, that much better than everybody else, he'd be playing. The fact that he is not playing is a sign that he would probably be a very serviceable college basketball player right now, but he wouldn't be Paolo Bancaro stepping in day one. Look at, I mean, listen, look at Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren got to Gonzaga in April, May, whenever it was, and really the last two weeks is really when he started to hit his stride. And so if you play him and he's not ready, that's the other part of this as well. Now you're potentially hurting his draft stock. Now potentially he has to come back because he has no choice. Now, potentially, he plays so bad, you screwed him over by playing him that he considers transferring. I'm not saying it would happen, but you think if he comes in and he's the sixth or seventh man and he's playing eight, ten minutes a game, you think there aren't people trying to get on the phone with him saying, hey, you could come here, we'll play you right away. This is the world that we live in with the one-time transfer rule. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just reality, and you have to factor in all those things. And so, to me, I think Kentucky made the right decision by deciding not to play Shaden Sharp and again, listen, let's be honest. I mean, there's, there's, there's always the possibility that it could be reconsidered if something disastrous happens. I'm not even going to weigh those possibilities because of the fact that, uh, that that'd be bad to even talk about. Right now, Kentucky is good enough to win the national championship, maybe the best team in college basketball, to be honest. And I think they'd be making a grave mistake by deciding to play Shaden Sharp. With that said, I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It's time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Writer on Facebook. I do have a professional Facebook page. And, of course, find the YouTube page. YouTube page continues to blow up. We're closing in on 10,000 subscribers. So for those of you who are subscribed, thank you for your support. Uh, But with that said, I'm going to get out of here. Really fun show today. Really appreciate all you guys and girls for listening. And it's time for me to get out of here. So with that said, all I got to say is one thing. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to Eric Musselman in the stands, in with the fans, one arm, in the sling, having the time of his life. We will be back on Friday. Probably talk a little Super Bowl. I got a fun guest that you'll like. That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.